You trust me? Hello, Tuesday friends. Let's get started, y'all. All right, good to see you and so grateful and thankful to be able to be together in the Word of God again and to be able to study the Scriptures together again. Uh, you know, I hope you value this time uh, just as a precious time. And here's why I was thinking it. You know, um, our dear Barb Paul, the Lord called home and sat right over there every time in our Tuesday study and was here two Tuesdays ago, right? Or is it three? Last? No, not last Tuesday. The Tuesday before. And the Lord called her home. You know, and so what we're doing is stuff that matters, isn't it? What we're talking about is not just like pretend nice pie in the sky kind of stuff. It's stuff that really matters, that prepares us for what's going to come eternity with our Savior Jesus. And boy, you guys who knew Barb knew she was ready, right? I love the Lord and, and she's with Fred again. And so anyway, I just, as I was getting ready for class tonight, I, I thought, man, I wish I would have said something to her. Just how I love her and how glad I am to see her here. And so I'm saying to all of you, I love you, and I'm glad that we can be together. This is indeed a precious thing, isn't it? Would you agree? Well, thank you. Yes. I have to tell you, a family that looked at her Bible book, mm -hmm. they were astounded by how much she had written in there in her workbook. Oh, you mean our Romans class book? Oh, nice. Well, right now she's got the real, the real book. <laughs> she's she could be the teacher. Yeah, nice, nice. All right, so again, uh, what a joy! And <clears throat> we are closing up Romans. It's today, two more lessons, and then potluck. I mean, that's it. The good news is, I'm unveiling tonight the two options we have for our next year's study. So. Oh, oh, oh. How many of you have just been asking me and asking me? Okay. <laughs> next year's study, you're going to have two options that we're going to vote for. And I didn't get the ballot together, but next week I'll have a ballot for us. So I can just kind of get your sense and feeling of it. Uh, early no, it's not Chicago. <laughs> one vote per. Um, so here's number study number one. The Gospel of John. Uh, I thought, you know, we, we did um, an epistle, which is a whole lot of theology and doctrine and practical stuff that we're in now about life. I thought a really nice balance to that would be a gospel, to talk through the story of Jesus, to talk through his ministry, to talk through his teachings. And what a better gospel than the gospel of John. Think about what we'll get to see in John. We, we'll get to unveil the John does better than any of the other four, three gospel writers of talking to us about Jesus Christ being the Son of God, God in the flesh. No gospel writer shows Jesus as part of the Trinity, the triune God, than, than John. I mean, from the very beginning, in the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then skip to verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only. Right? So we get to talk about the glory, who Jesus really was. We also get to, you know, His teachings about what He came to do, the seven I Am statements. Uh, that we have. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the gatekeeper. You know, all of the great seven, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The seven I am statements. We'll get to unpack each one of those. Uh, the uh, Did you know in the Gospel of John, there are five chapters of Jesus in the upper room the night before he was betrayed? I mean, so John was written later than the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I've always thought he looked at everything that they did, and he loved their Gospels. But he goes, man, you guys left out one of the most important nights of all. And so he gives five chapters of stuff that's not included in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. About the last night, it's the washing of the feet and the Passover and the betrayal of Judas and um, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the beautiful high priestly prayer. All of these words, this, this, the five chapters in the upper room with Jesus the night before his betray, he was betrayed. Maybe you've heard me say before, if you knew you had one more day to live and you were spending the night with your best friends and family, what would you talk about? How do you think Kevin Love's going to, you know, Jordan Love's going to play next year? You think that's would be the conversation? You wouldn't give a rip about things like that. What matters most are the things you're going to talk about. And we have five chapters of that in John. And then, of course, the beautiful resurrection story of John and the reinstating of Peter at the end. Oh, my word. So cool. we'll have two years, 36 weeks in the Gospel of John, if that's what you choose to pick. Right. And this is a study that I will write myself again, kind of like our Romans class. So it will be uh, if you like Romans, the structure of Romans would be very similar to the structure we'll do for the Gospel of John. Right, so that's option one. Option two is another two-year study. And you know I say this a lot, my favorite, my favorite, my favorite. You know, and I say I really like this one. Now, I am not joking one bit. The absolute best Bible study that I have ever taken myself, it changed me about how I understand the Scriptures. And the best study I've ever taught, ever, is Crossways. All right, it's a two-year study. So some of you, how many of you remember when uh, four years ago we did Divine Drama? You remember Divine Drama, everybody? Divine Drama was 15 units of the Bible and 15 units of doctrine. Crossways takes those 15 units of, of the Bible and expands it to 60 units. It is the best study of the Bible I have ever seen. Uh, because not only are we just going to study the scriptures, but the visuals that come along with your studies. So it's, it's, uh, there's pictures that you'll have, PowerPoint that will work through as we march through the Bible. And so much of the story of the Bible is connected to a picture and is still, those of you who have done Crossways before, Tim is smiling at me right now. You just know, in the old days, it was called Diagram and Doctrine, if you remember some of that, too. But anyway, the pictures stick, and the story sticks in your mind. So you'll have, uh, you'll have six books that you'll get in this two-year study. Uh, uh, each book has 10 units in it, and so each book has its own separate workbook. This Crossways is no slouchy study. This is intense. 
the homework that you'll have to prepare for each week in your workbook is way more than your silly little soap thing that we're doing now. I mean, there are, there, there'll be four, well, I'm going to say 30, 20 to 30 questions that you'll be reading through your scriptures that you'll need to do ahead of time. And then what we do in class is we work through those questions together in class. So you read the material, you do the questions, we talk about the questions and attach it to the, to the pictures. And along the way, we're just going to move through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And we even spend some time in the Apocrypha. Right? And now, one more cool thing about it, you're going to get a biblical timeline map that unfolds. That's about the length of your table. Right? And this timeline map is going to help you pin everything that we're studying into the chronology of the history of the world in which we live. And so it, the, the crossways moves chronologically, not Bible bookly. You know what I mean by that? We're going to move chronologically, not the order of the Bible books, because that's not chronological. But we'll move through the timeline from beginning to end. So crossways is a great, great, amazing, powerful, life-changing, memorable study. But you see the bad news on the bottom? It's $100 for all the materials for the two-year study. For the six student books, for the six workbooks, for the fold-out timeline map. So it's an investment that you would need to make in order to plug on into the study. But believe me, it would be well worth it. So already start to think and pray about that. Next week, I'm going to give you a chance to uh, kind of put your two cents in what you prefer to do. And then we'll see what the Lord does with it. All right? Yes? No, no, no. This is about by a great one of my heroes. His name is Dr. Harry Went. I did it. Last time we did it here was 1997. That was, uh, I taught it here when I first came. Well, good, because that book's out of print. It's a different one than the one we're using now anyway. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. If money's a hardship, we'll figure out a way. Yes. Um, yeah, um, uh, no, it's 36 for the whole two years. No, each year. No. You know what? I made a boo-boo on here. It's a one-year study. John will be just one year. We'll do the whole John in one year. That's the. It's not a two-year thing. That's a. Mis Thanks for catching that. It'll be one year. Thirty-six units, one year. We're doing what thirty-six now too, right? So it'll be the same as last year. That's why I did thirty-six. Sorry about that. So John is just one year. Crossways would be two year. Pardon. No, John will be, John is a 36-week, one-year study. Crossways is two 30-week years. So we'll go 30 and 30. That means two potlucks. $100 divided by 60. We It's $1.66 a lesson. So you're saying that's kind of worth it? All right, see, now that's no politicking now on this one. Um, but bribes can be sent to dan.taves at faithfe.org. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, right. All right, so like I said, next week we'll pass a ballot around for that one. All right, the end of the year party, I didn't want to skip that. I was going to have a sign-up sheet for you too, but I forgot to get that ready, so sorry. Uh, but I'll bring that along with the ballot next week, <laughs> if I remember. Um, by the way, some of you are having some very creative ideas that you've been sending me about what party uh, things that we can do and have some fun with that. So um, just wait and see what's going to happen for that one, right? Those of you who are online, we hope that you'll make plans if you can to join us for that. I know our California folks are going to have to come a little bit of a distance, but um, every potluck is worth it. Uh, but we, we'd love for you to join us face to face since we can't feed you through the camera. Um, but anyway, end of the year party, Tuesday, May 30th. All right, let's have a word of prayer and then we can dig into the word, shall we, everybody? Gracious Lord, Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for this night again. And as we said earlier, um, I don't think we take this for granted, Lord. Um, I think we really appreciate your Holy Spirit just being present with us and leading and guiding us and filling us and giving us what we need. So uh, pray again, Lord, as we're sort of nearing the end of our Roman study, that you would just open our minds, and especially today again, because the Word's going to challenge us to to do things and and practice things that are just difficult and hard. So, Lord, we'll need your Spirit to, to lead us and guide us and, and to show us uh, the reason uh, so that we can get behind it and follow your will and your way and, and along the way find this beautiful unity in the church that you desire that that leads to such growth and sharing the gospel. So just be with us as, again, we pound into the word and as it pounds into us and gives us all we need for life and the living of it. So bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I should have also said, I was myself, but I didn't. Um, our, don't forget about our annual congregational meeting next Monday. So if you can join us for that, that would be grand. We're going to actually have to meet down here. So we're going to pull tables aside and just set up a couple hundred, 300 chairs down here uh, so that we can also be on Zoom for our online folks. So we'll actually be able to see their faces as they see our faces this time online. And so if someone online asks a question, we'll get to see them on the screen and they can say hi to us and we'll say hi to them. And then we'll say, we like your idea or we'll say we don't like your idea, but we'll still accept and love each other because we learned this in Romans. And so um, so anyway, we'll be down here next Monday. If you can join us at 7 o'clock, that would be really great. We have some really important decisions to make. I, I've been saying all along it's a really crucial time for our church to kind of make a choice about where, what we want to be as we move forward into the next 75 years since we're celebrating our 75th anniversary. So if you can join us for that next Monday at 7, that would be grand. Yes. I can tell you this because it just happened this week. He asked when does Pastor Aaron start his sabbatical for finishing his dissertation on his doctorate. He has just decided to push that to the spring of next year. It was going to start this end of this summer. Uh, and so he's had some uh, delays in getting his dissertation and the defense of his dissertation approved. And they always come back with suggestions and things that they would like you to do or see and he doesn't want to start the dissertation until he is absolutely clear about what he needs to do so that he can just dig into it when it's time and use that time wisely. So not going to start until the spring. So that's good for that. And if you, if you, uh, it's also good for us because that means he'll be with us when we're starting to do this capital campaign. So I have been silently rejoicing and giving thanks to God. 
you know, so he'll be uh, be a part of that whole process too. His what? Yeah, at this point in time, they still have it. It's still a go. So, I haven't heard anything about not. Could. If I had to twist my arm. Yeah, yeah. All right, my friends, let's take a look. Uh, once again, today, you, you, um, if you want to open your books, you'll see we're moving into uh, Romans, the end of Romans 14 and the beginning of Romans 15. So we're kind of chunking up a half of end of 14 and a half of chapter 15. And the reason I wanted to do it that way is it's the genius of St. Paul here that we're going to see is how he structures and arranges his material. Now, you all know that the chapters and verses in your Bible were not a part of St. Paul's writings. Like when he wrote his letter to the Romans, he didn't go, chapter 1, verse 1, click, 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 write some words. Verse 2, click, 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 write some words. The, the chapters and the verses were all added in the, in the middle centuries just to help us in our study and uh, in our memorization of the Scriptures. Also, the title, the, the, the little, if you look in your Bible, you have these like headings. You know, the headings, those aren't from the writers of the scriptures either. Those were also added along with chapter and verse. So when when folks like me will divide up something like a half of chapter 14 and the half of chapter 15, you might go, what are you doing that for? That's not the way it's divided up. Well, that's I'm trying to do it the way I think St. Paul wanted divided up, not the way the chapters and verse divided up. So here's my thinking, right? The genius of St. Paul in this section Remember where we've been. The first half of Romans 14 was last week, and we talked about how we are to accept one another. Remember that conversation? Even if we disagree with one another, we still love and accept one another. The second half of Romans, what we're looking at today, says, okay, now we're going to talk about how we build each other up. St. Paul is going to say just accepting each other is not good enough. Because on top of that, you also have to build each other up. So we're going to learn today, even when we disagree, even when we don't like someone, even when someone really bugs us, we're called in the scriptures to still not just say, okay, I tolerate you, but we're saying, okay, I'm going to do whatever I can to build you up, right? So first, how to accept one another. Then he says how to build each other up. And then the first half of 15, he's going to talk about the advantages, the reasons, what what good is it? Why does God want us to, to accept one another and build one another up? What is it the good that comes out of that? So another way to look at it, I guess, you could divide it up this way too. The first half of Romans is that we should refrain from judging others. Then the second half of Romans 14 uh, is that we should refrain from offending others. That's what we're going to talk about today. And then 15, the first half of 15 is the results of not judging and not offending. So again, are you seeing St. Paul's genius? He's, he's, he's laid out this book of Romans in a, just a beautiful, thoughtful way. Have you not been impressed with that as we've marched through our book of Romans? It's not just like one night he sat down with a pen and some paper and started scribbling some stuff out. It must have taken him like a sabbatical of time to sit down and pour into this and get this thing done. You know what I mean? So this is kind of the strategy today, the genius of St. Paul, as we're kind of building on what we did last time uh, today. So our theme tonight are on these two verses. You see it on your key verses on, there's, on your study guide, right? First of all, 14, 19, 
the Living Bible says it this way. In this way, aim for harmony in the church and build each other up. The Phillips Bible, that same translation, that same verse, it said, let us concentrate on the things that make for harmony and the growth of our fellowship together. Right? So can you tell that the theme tonight is going to be about building one another up and what it looks like and how that happens? And then 15 verse 2, again, talks more. He says, each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. There's those words again. Or the Living Bible in this verse says, let's please the other fellow, not ourselves, and do what is for his good and thus build him up in the Lord. So if you look at these two key verses, 14, 19, and 15, 2, I think you can see what Paul is going to try and get us to see and understand today what it looks like to build one another up and how that so profoundly impacts the growth of the church and the spread of the gospel. So accepting one another, as I said earlier, is not enough. St. Paul today is going to argue that we need to actively build each other up. All right, how about this for church growth strategy? We just looked at this. Uh, we looked at these verses, 14, 19. Let us concentrate on things that make for harmony in the growth of our fellowship together. So St. Paul is going to say that there's really two things that we should concentrate on here. Concentrate on things that make for harmony. What do we do to create harmony? And then also look for the things that make the church grow. Right, so as he's talking about that, here's a Dan thought, right? I believe the wrong question we need to ask then is what will make our church grow? And we do this a lot. We say, what, what do we need to do in order to make the church grow? What kind of program do we need to develop? Uh, what kind of ministry, what kind of sanctuary do we need to have? What kind of facilities do we need to have? Uh, I really think that's not the right question. The right question is not what will make our church grow, but what's keeping our church from growing. We need to look at what are the things that are stopping the church from being what it should be, a place of people that love one another, a place where people encourage one another and build one another up and encourage and strengthen one another, a place that's known for love and grace, a place where people can come and feel like they're part of the family, the body of Christ, a place where people can come, right, and be loved so that they can then love one another. So do you see where I'm going with this? So really the question is, what are the bottlenecks? What are the things that we're doing? Because if you read the scriptures, maybe this is, tell me if you think this is true. As I'm reading the scriptures, it seems to me that God can put up with poor leadership. Praise be God. He can put up with, with shoddy facilities. He can put up with uh, a lot of things, but the one thing God will not tolerate is disharmony, fighting, infighting, uh, arguing, and, and hatred within the body of Christ. Think about how much Scripture talks about unity, talks about fellowship, talks about being one in the body of Christ, right? Lots, lots of Scripture, because, see, I think God knows that's what's going to keep the church from growing if we don't have that. If we're not building each other up, but we're fighting and tearing each other down, that, that's going to bottleneck and stop the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, from getting out to the ears and hearts of people that need it. But do you think I'm making too much of this? 
I mean, look clearly. It says, look, concentrate on the things that make for harmony and the growth of our fellowship together. He didn't say concentrate on having the, the best-looking sanctuary in town. Concentrate on having the most talented staff available. Concentrate on having uh, the, the newest cutting-edge Bible study tools. Right? It's none of that. What is it we concentrate on? Harmony. What's harmony? It's building each other up, strengthening each other, fighting for one another, loving each other in spite of our differences. Amen? Right? So, St. Paul, again, I don't think this is a damn thing. This is going to come straight out of our study today. Remove the barriers, barriers and growth is automatic. See, we don't grow the church, do we? Who grows the church? God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who grows the church. So what do we do to grow the church? We just get out of the way. <laughs> we eliminate the barriers. And when we do that, growth is automatic. That's God's plan. All right. Therefore, I love therefore. Because of all of that, Right? We need to just understand that what we do affects others. So we're back to our, our study guide, right? What we do affects others. Remember these disputable matters that we talked about last week? Right? We talked about these three things in Paul's day, diet, days, and drink. These are the things that were disputable matters that were dividing the church and stopping them from having unity and harmony with one another. We could put a list of our things today, too. Remember I said our Missouri Synod was wine, women, and song? Yeah, you remember? You know, so, you know, we could put a list of things together, too, that are disputable matters that we love to argue about or use to divide or dis, uh, bring dissension, right? Uh, but we need to remember that in those things, our actions can cause other believers to do these three things that we talked about on your sheet, to stumble. Right, the verse from... Uh, 14, Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's lap. So, do you see? This is one of these bottlenecks. These are, this is one of these roadblocks I was telling you about that we put in the way of growing the church, of spreading the good news gospel of Jesus Christ. We can make people stumble when we make disputable matters a barrier or a stumbling block to them or an obstacle for them. We're going to talk a little more of how this happens, what that looks like as we move through the night. But for right now, see, St. Paul says, be careful because your actions can cause your brother or sister in Christ to stumble. Next, he says, it can cause them to be distressed. He said in verse 15, if your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love, right? Instead of what you eat, just put disputable matter. Whatever the thing is that we're arguing about, that's not a doctrinal issue, not an essential issue, right? We need to be careful because what we do in our freedom, what we do with our liberty in the gospel, while we might have every right to do it, it may not be the right thing to do. See what I'm saying? Even though we have every right to do it, if it causes our brother or sister to be distressed, St. Paul says, don't you dare create disharmony in the body. 
So our actions can lead them to stumble, to be distressed, or to be destroyed. St. Paul said, do not by your eating, whatever your disputable matter is, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Now, what kind of destruction is he talking? He's not talking physical destruction, physical death. What's he talking about? Spiritual death. You can cause your brother or sister to walk away from his faith, to walk away from Jesus because of your actions. So St. Paul is just warning us right from the outset that we need to realize and uh, be aware that our actions can cause our brothers and sisters to stumble, to be distressed, or even be destroyed. So what we're talking about today matters, everybody, okay? You're right? Would you agree? This is not just trivial stuff. This is matters. This is, this is spiritual life kind of important stuff. So the mark of Christian matur- maturity, I think, one of the marks, is realizing how your actions can influence other people. You know, how your actions, your words, how you treat others can influence their spiritual walk with Jesus. You know, what you say about the decorations in the church, what you say about the type of music that we're using today, what you say about a certain pastor that you like better than another pastor, what you say about uh, some of the social issues uh, where there is adiaphora these days, you know, those things can really affect another person. So we are, we're going to have to check ourselves. So this is kind of where St. Paul is going to go today with us. And so he's going to give us six ways then that we can build each other up. Six ways we can be careful not to stumble, have our neighbor stumble or be distressed or be destroyed. We'll look at each one of these one by one. So don't panic again if you're having to write scribble really quick. But We'll see, he says, how do you build each other up? By committing ourselves to doing it. So step one is just making it a point and and actually doing it. Step two is by recognizing the value of every human being, of every person. Step three, we build each other up by keeping our focus on what's really important, i.e. let the little things go. Number four, we limit our liberty out of love for each other. Number five, we'll see we build each other up by not forcing our opinions on others. Some of you are going to really argue with me on that one (laughs) because you love forcing your opinion on me or anyone else. Uh, In six, we build each other up by living by faith, by trusting faith to guide and lead us. Right. So let's look at these six things. And again, I, I, um, I hope that as we've been doing Romans together, you know, I've caught myself several times saying, I think, but really this, you're going to see, I start every one of these with the word of scripture from Romans. These are Paul's ideas. Have I done okay with that, everybody, as we move through this class, right? This is not Dan's thoughts. These are St. Paul, the inspired author of Romans thoughts, these six things. So let's look at the first. How do you do it? By committing to it. Here's what he said. Everybody, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. You see, that's my ear saying we need to commit to it. We need to make an effort to do it. Uh, Words like make a commitment. We need to decide to do it. We need to choose to do it. We need to have some willpower. Another translation in the Bible says, make it your goal to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. 
Some of you who are goal setters, some of you who are daily planners and will mark down what you need to do each day. You know, I hope one of the things that you're marking down is today, I am going to create peace and mutual edification. Set your mind to it. Make a plan to do it. Set your will to it. starts with a with a with a mindset. I am going to do this, and I'm going to plan it because it's not natural. Is it natural to create peace? It isn't. Not in our sinful, broken self. Right? You know, when your husband or wife pushes that button. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Oh, here's an opportunity to make peace. Is that what comes to your mind? Oh, probably not, right? Your, your face gets a little hot. You know, the, the words just come spilling out, don't they? That's natural. What's not natural is when we make an effort, a commitment, we set our mind, we choose, we decide that we are not going to react that way. Instead, we are going to do everything we can to lead to peace and mutual edification. So you see where I'm going? You have to commit to it. So can you just imagine if all 200 or so of us in this Bible study would commit to building up everybody? Instead of tearing down, instead of saying a harsh, critical word, if everything we did was designed today, I'm going to make that person feel better about who they are in Christ. Today, I'm going to do whatever I can to make that old crab smile, right? Today, I'm going to do whatever is necessary. I'm going to sacrifice and give whatever I need so that this person will have a better day than if I wasn't in it. Do you see that? If we were all 200 of us able to do that, think of what an impact just tomorrow would be. One day, yes. Time out. Mark is watching. It's funny you bring that up because I have a great example. I work part-time. There are two people for sure that I deal with. One of them, when I come in and I say hi or good morning, they don't say anything. They just walk right by me. There was another, uh, there was a woman that was kind of the same way. I would say good morning. She didn't say anything. I've said good morning enough times that now she says good morning to me. Okay. And there are some days where she actually says, did I say good morning to you already? <laughs> and I'll say, you have, but it's nice to get two good mornings from you. But it was just, there you, you brought that up. I love it. You know how good it feels when someone says something nice to you? Like, man, I, I really like those clothes. I, I, you really look nice today. You must have slept well, you know, or something. You know, uh, you must have got up on the right side of the bed for the first time in six months. No, that kind of defeats that purpose. But you know how, you know my point, how good it feels when somebody notices you, when somebody just says something, that will stick in your head the rest of the day, won't it? Won't it? And you also know if someone says a mean word, how that hurts. And how that will just make your day miserable, sad too, right? Set your mind to making a difference. You have the power to do that. Your words, your actions, you have the power to make someone's day, right? Listen, everybody, you have the power to make someone's day. Do you know what a cool power that is that God gave you? 
Are you using it? Are you availing yourself of that opportunity? All right? Commit to it. Do you know the name Barnabas in the Bible? Do you know that word means son of encouragement? I wish I was named Barnabas. I would love to be a Barnabas. Right? If you could write that on my tombstone, I'd be happy. He encouraged me. That would be good enough for me. On my license plate. Okay. Barnabas. You'll see Barnabas on my plate next time. You'll know what one else will, but you'll know. See, we all can be Barnabases. Barnaby. Right? We all can be sons and daughters of encouragement. This is, it's, it doesn't cost. It's a gift that God gives you that you can use. So build each other up. It starts by committing. All right, number two. It starts by recognizing the value inerrant, inerrant in each person. Look at He said, do not by your eating destroy your brother. And here's the part I love. For whom Christ died. You just got to let that sink in your head a little bit. They may be obnoxious, immature, annoying, and you may disagree with them, but guess what? Christ died for them. They were valuable enough. They were important enough that Jesus would give his own life for that angry old cuss. Right? So, if the Son of God gave his life for someone, how valuable is that person? And do we treat them that way? Or do we treat them like garbage? Do we treat them like the treasure that they are that was worth the death of the Son of God? Or do we treat them like garbage that can be ignored or walked on or abused? Isn't that something? If you would just see every person as someone that Jesus died for, would that change the way you talk to them? Would that change the way you act towards them? Would it? Yes? Dennis? Wait till Mark gets over here. Thank you, Mark. So again, <laughs> you can see this, this idea. Again, this is St. Paul's words, right? Uh, treat them as if someone whom Jesus died for. Go ahead. Unfortunately, oh, hello. Hello. Yeah. Unfortunately, today, so many people that you're, that you're trying to do do anything to push you back, anything, anything at all. You try being nice to them. They make it even worse, you know, and you, you try and you try and you try. And that's the word the world is today. You know, this is the devil working overtime, just trying to uh, egg you on. And, yep. And uh, yep. you try and you try and you try and they just. But then after months, a crack a crack. After months, she says, good morning. You know, you just, you just keep, keep loving, keep praying, keep asking God to help. And do you think God's going to say, no, nah, I don't think so. That person is beyond hope. Just ignore them. I don't think that's a God reply, you know, so it is hard, but there's something about persistence in this that matters. Yeah, Jesus said if someone, right, if you give someone, if you if someone slaps you, what do you do? Turn the other cheek. If, yeah, so you just keep at it. You keep, even if it costs you, you keep, you keep, you keep, and wait and see what God does. 
I love it. All right, what right do I have to hurt people that Christ died for? Hmm. I don't. I do not have that right. So make a, make a choice of the will. Then recognize the intrinsic value that every person has because Jesus died for them. Number three, keeping our focus on what's really important. Here's how St. Paul worded this. He said, do not allow what you consider to be good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, disputable matters, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing God and is approved of men. So look, here's the thing on this. This is the key on this one. The essence of being a Christian is not external, but internal. Do you see that in these words? What makes us a Christian is not believing these external disputable matters. But what makes us a Christian are the internal things, righteousness, peace, and joy. Do you see those words? Those are the things that are going to create harmony. Those are the things that it says God approves of, and so do other people. So it's not the disputable matters. It's not getting everybody to agree with you or agreeing with everybody else. But it's righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy. These things matter. So often people leave the church because of disputable matters. Right? I, I've, I've told some of you we lost like seven families during COVID because we shut down for a time. You remember that? They were so angry with us that we shut down. And then we opened up again and we lost more families because we required masks. So then other families left again to find another church that did not require masks. You see, to me, that's, that's dis, those are disputable matters. Those aren't essential doctrinal life or death spiritual issues. Those are practices of the church. But look how many people get their underwear in a bundle about things like that and end up leaving or moving to another church or something, right? That's not what St. Paul is saying here. Instead, he's telling us, focus on what's most important. Let the main thing be the main thing. And the little things be the little things, right? Um, keeping our focus important, especially in these days. You know, there's just so many people that want to argue with us about the non-essential matters so that they don't have to really talk about the things that do matter. So that they can tear the church down without having to change their lives and who they are, you know? Like, again, if you ever are blessed to have a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon show up at your door, you know what they do? Their strategy is to get you stuck in disputable matters. That's what they love to do. They love to argue about disputable matters. Whenever they come to my door, I invite them in. I say, let's talk about Jesus. I don't want to talk about whether we worship on Saturday or Sunday. I don't want to talk about whether it's right or wrong to have a blood transfusion. I don't want to talk about whether it's good to say that the word Trinity is or isn't in the Bible. That, that, I don't want to talk about that. Can we just talk about Jesus? Who do you know that loves you more than Jesus? Yo, well, yeah, they always will come in for a while. <laughs> um, so anyway, you know, the point is, right, the world is going to try and 
everything in the world today is designed to pull us into arguments. Do you agree? Now more than ever, we live in this, uh, what do you call it, cancel culture. You know, I, I want, if you don't agree with me, boom, cancel. If you Let's argue about it. Let's fight about it. And if we can't agree on it, cancel. Everything seems to be wired that way now, doesn't it? Everything is so polarized. Jesus is not polarized. He is not. You know, he is all in. <laughs> you know, so these are the things we focus on, the love of Christ Jesus. And then once people know Jesus and love Jesus, do you know what follows? Right? Do you know what follows that always? The following of his word, the following of his will, the following of his ways. So if we start with the disputable matters, we'll lose them. We'll get nowhere. We'll get canceled. But if we start with loving Jesus as he first loved us, then that the rest will flow after a while. You, you agree all? Right? So especially now, keeping our focus on what's important is, is more essential than ever. So when the world looks at a Christian, what I think they should see is not every little jot and tittle crossed, but righteousness, peace, and joy. Right? When the world sees you, I hope they don't see some perfect, I have everything together person, but they see someone who was full of righteousness, peace, and joy. By the way, do you know where jot and tittle comes from? That phrase, you've ever heard the phrase before, every little jot and tittle? It's, it's, um, it comes from, ah, uh, look at that. Jot and tittle. Jesus was saying that not one little iota or one little kyria tittle will pass from the word of God, from the law of God. And so in iota, if you look at the, uh, the two little dots on top of the first two letters there, right? Those are jots and tittles. Those little, those little marks in the Greek language, those little, just little dashes and squiggles. We call them pointing in the Greek, right? The pointing. Uh, that pointing, those are jots and tittles. So if, if you ever hear someone say every little jot and tittle, or we've kind of Americanized it to dot your I's and cross your T's, same concept, jot and tittles. It goes all the way back to Matthew and Jesus saying, okay, so you learned one weird thing today. Number four, uh, limiting our liberty out of love for each other is the next way that we uh, build up each other. Limiting our liberty. Again, here's what St. Paul said. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Again, what does food mean? It means one of these disputable matters, non-essential things. All food, all non-essential things are clean. But it's wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fail. So do you see the message here? While you have every right to eat the food, to eat the meat, to drink the drink, if eating the meat or drinking the drink causes your brother or sister to stumble or fall, then you shouldn't do it. For the sake of harmony, for the sake of unity, you give up your liberty, what you have the right to have or do, to spare another person. He's coming. He's right there. Thank you. Can you give some examples currently of, of what that would be? Okay, let's just use the drinking example, right? I have every, the Bible doesn't forbid drinking wine uh, or alcohol, right? But 
it does forbid drunkenness. So if someone is struggling with alcoholism, then even though you have a right to have a wine when you're out with them, maybe the better thing to do is not have the wine. Do you know? See, so that's an example. You just, you have to, there are times where you have the right to do something. It's not wrong. And we're going to talk about exactly how we make that decision later. But for now, this is St. Paul saying sometimes for the sake of unity and harmony, you don't do it. You don't say it. You don't go there. Even though you have every right to do it, say it, and go there, you choose not to for the sake of your brother or sister, the sake of unity and harmony. Okay? So we must refuse to do anything that would cause our brother to stumble. So, for example, look at these two pastors. Which would you say is a better pastor? I'm telling you, the guy with the tie is way better. That's all I'm saying, right? See, some people could say, now, see, here's the deal. I could say, listen, everybody in church needs to wear a tie because that's proper and right. And I would have the right to wear a tie, right? But maybe someone else doesn't feel comfortable in a tie or the tie is going to make them think bad things about the church, that it's just a stuffy old place where people dress up and look good, but they really don't care about their lives. So maybe I don't wear a tie then, not to cause offense to that pastor that's really not as good as the one that's wearing a tie. <laughs> you guys, I thought this would be a lot funnier than it really, really turned out to be. <laughs> and that one flopped. <laughs> All right, but you get the idea, right? You have every right to do and say some things. But sometimes, even though you have the right to do it, it's not the right thing to do. You get it? That's what he's saying. You live at your liberty, liberty out of love for each other. So when is it wrong then? When is it wrong to do something that's okay? I'd, I'd like to give you some, some kind of framework of how you can make that decision. Because it's not easy, right? When do you know to just chew on your liberty or... When do you know you have the right to do it? Here's some thoughts. First of all, when you know it's wrong, it's wrong to do it. Right? First John 3, 4, I think I printed this verse for you, right? It's everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. So it's wrong to, if you know it's wrong. That's just basic sense. Or is it? I'm amazed today at how people just do what they want to do, even if they know it's wrong. It just freaks me out. So maybe I, that's why I just said we need to say it. <laughs> Second, when I know to do good but don't. When I know it's the good thing to do but I don't do it, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do but doesn't do it sins, said James 4.17. Right? That's another one. Third, when is it wrong to do something that's okay? When I'm not sure if it's right, but I do it anyway. Like if there's like, I'm not sure, this doesn't feel right, this could be wrong. Here's the way St. Paul said, but the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because he's eating not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. You see the point he's trying to make? If you have faith, if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, your little Jiminy Cricket... <laughs> Your little Holy Spirit's going to be whispering in your ear saying, this probably isn't a good thing to do right now. Right? And St. Paul is saying, listen to your conscience. 
Listen to your Holy Spirit conscience and follow through on that. And then for when I cause a believer to stumble, even if my action is okay, then it's wrong. Everything is permissible, said St. Paul, but not everything is beneficial. You see? So these are just some sort of rules that you can kind of run through your mind when you're saying to yourself, Mark, question mark, um, up here. These are just rules you should kind of run through in your mind as you're making that decision. Do I need to give my liberty up to not create disunity or not? These will help. Okay. What about those that worship on Saturday only? And they look down on us worshiping on Sunday. And they're, they're fellow Christians. Yep. How does that come into play here? So to look down on someone for a disputable matter is not okay. That's how that comes but into they, play. But they say it's, a not, it's not a disputable matter. <laughs> to them, it's a matter of faith. Right. So if they're going to get in your face about it, yeah, then maybe you just say, I'm going to chew my liberty right now, and I'm going to worship with them at a traditional spot. You eat your ego. You eat your pride. You eat your right to worship where you choose. And to not cause your brother or sister to stumble, yeah. you go along with that. Since for us, it is a disputable matter. It is, it is a disputable matter. The, the, the day we worship, we could do it on Thursday. Right. Or, you know, but for them, it's not. Can. So then you have to ask yourself, yeah. is it one of these things? So This is hard, it's, by it's, the way. Yeah. It's hard to give up something you have a right to have. Yep. All right. Oh, good. Sorry. You, you got to remember that we are all stubborn Germans. So that's really hard to do. You know, if if we if we were somebody else, we could just say, you know, but we're not. We're stubborn Germans. So we should know this about ourselves. Well, yep. we do, but we won't yep. admit it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> this is our growing point, isn't it? Yes. Yep. Okay, number five. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see you, Rick. Yeah. Sometimes I think people are playing those like us. They will try to do things to get us to compromise and compromise and compromise. And that's where I get kind of perplexed, if you will. When do you say, no, that's not right? Because it's not really affecting a beautiful matter, or maybe it is, but it's not sin either. So what do you do then? What I think St. Paul is telling us, if it truly is a disputable matter, no matter how many times they get you to compromise, no matter how many times they push you on that, you give. Because it's a disputable matter. It's not essential to faith. You just give because you're not going to cause the brother or sister to stumble or fall. You just give. Now, if it's not disputable, if it's an essential matter, if it's getting in the way of faith, if it's getting in the way of your growing with the Lord, then it clicks into a whole other set of circumstances. But if it truly is a disputable matter of something, then you just keep giving, you keep giving, you keep giving. Yeah, we don't like it, do we? <laughs> Go ahead. I remember a situation back in the 70s and 80s, and our church was one conservative, conservative, conservative church that 
dress was important. Mm. And someone criticized a family who came with three little boys in sneakers. I knew the situation of the family. The husband was in the hospital, Agent Orange affected, just was going majorly down, and medical bills were horrible. It went on and on for many years, and I blew up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was in a Bible class, and mm-hmm. I just, I said, you do not know the situation. Those are probably those boys' only shoes. Mm-hmm. They are in church every single Sunday, never miss. Let's praise the Lord for that. Yeah. Yep. What God cares most about, we said this, is unity and harmony in the body of Christ. If you have to eat your words, if you have to eat your pride, if you have to change a habit that's a disputable matter, then you need to do that. That's what he's saying here, everybody. Right? I think I've lost some of you just now. (laughs) But that's what he's teaching us, as hard as it is. It's not worth losing a brother or sister for eternity over tennis shoes or a style of worship or any other disputable matter. I'm struggling with, I got a, a, a referral and an included business card, and it's the name. And in parentheses behind the name is she, her, hers. So I went out online to see what that meant. And that means somebody that's aligning them with female. Thank you for bringing that up. That is a great example of what we're talking about right now. So you have a choice when that person talks to you. Are you going to call them by their biological God-given sex, he or she? Or are you going to call them by their chosen pronoun, whatever they choose? So you got to make a decision right now. What's gonna? What is this? A disputable matter, or is this an essential thing? For me, it's essential. Okay. I but don't. The, I don't. I. I don't. So again, this is a great example. It, it's not always black and white. So, so you twist into this. What's gonna leave the, the door open for you to talk to this person in the future? If you just slam the door and get into an argument about it, then you've lost them. Right. But you stood for what's right. And so who so wins? I still lose. So you still lose. So the better thing to do is in this disputable matter to them, just go along with it, love them, encourage them, talk about Jesus, invite them to come to your church where they'll get to hear Jesus and be loved on by Jesus, and then let Jesus change the heart. It's a, see, it's... It is hard, so hard. But I don't know how to interpret what we're reading in any other way than this. We're called to swallow what's right in in our mind in order to create unity and harmony with the brother or sister, not lead them to stumble or fall. Go ahead. You know, it's hard to, to respect somebody when they play both sides of the field. You know, when they say, oh, yeah, this is really cool. And then on the other hand, they'll go, well, I didn't really agree with that, but I had to do it for the group. So we know what's right. They don't. So what's what's the win in this? To impose our will upon them and argue them into right behavior? That's not going to win. 
It's not going to win. We have to love them first and then let the word lead them where they need to go. Hard as that is. When I said before about being stubborn Germans, this is a, a true confession. I went to a Wisconsin Center Church and they were having communion. And it was my grand goddaughter's communion and I wanted to go to communion. <laughs> and they said, now everybody hears Wells, right? Mm -hmm. Stubborn German, you know. And he said, well, then you can't take communion. And I said, communion's between me and God. You can't tell me I can't take communion. Anyways, he said, well, you'll have to talk to the pastor. And I said, that's fine. You know, I'll talk to him. Well, the pastor never came out. And when it got out for them, or for them to go to communion, I went out to the altar with her. And I thought the pastor would just pass me by. But he didn't. He gave me communion. Did I feel terrible? <laughs> <laughs> Won the battle and lost the war. Yeah, that's that's a stubborn German thing, and I, I, and I had no right doing it, but nobody can tell me I can't take communion, right? All right, so I want to move us because it's already eight, and and see, but this is where a good place for us to be. We're we're right in the muck of it. Would you agree? We're right in the muck of it. And, and it's not crystal clear, black or white, one way or other. We need to live in the muck. We just do. This is where we need to struggle and pray and live in this place and just do our best to follow the Word of God. And it's, it's good to have these discussions because some people just don't even care, right? This is a good place to, to be right now. We want to wrestle with this. If God's poking your heart right now in your mind with this, that's good. That's That means he's moving, he's pushing, he's growing, he's challenging you. So roll with it, man. Like a pig, roll around in the muck, right? Just live in the mess and know that God has not left you, but he is with you in that mess to work through it. All right? Sorry if you had more questions, email me. I'll send it to Pastor Adam. Number five, how we are to build each other up. Number, he says, by not forcing my opinion on others. Isn't it funny how this is just rolling right on what we were talking about? St. Paul is so wise. He said, whatever you believe about these things, keep them between yourself and God. St. Paul said that, not me. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Look, listen to those words and put them into the context of the things that we were just talking about. By approving right, we can actually condemn ourselves. By standing up for what we think is true, we can actually uh, push away a brother or sister and condemn ourselves. Wow. Remember this from last week, uh, this little poem, eat as I eat, drink as I drink, do as I do, only then can I fellowship with you. Remember we had that poem last week? This is sometimes the way we stubborn Germans think. You agree with me, we're all good. We don't agree, then we're going to have it out. Keep disputable matters between you and the Lord. Enjoy your freedom, but don't flaunt it and don't force it on others. 
You know what, what I mean by that? Right? You have this liberty in the gospel, this freedom to eat or not eat, to drink or not drink, to celebrate this day or not that day, right? to believe these things or not believe these things, but don't walk around and flaunt it or push it on, on other people or push it down their throats because then you've lost and you've caused them to stumble. Remember last, we did 12, 18 in the past here in Romans class. I love how St. Paul said this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. In other words, some people just are never going to be peaceful. You can do everything you can as far as it depends on you. As, as If it is in any way, shape, or form possible, do everything you can. But then you know what? Shake the dust off your sandals and move on. You've done what you could. Do what you can. Make Avail yourself of every opportunity. But in the end, remember, it's not your job to change someone. It's not your job to force your opinion on someone else. That's God's job. God's going to convert. God's going to change a heart. God's going to change a mind. You're just, <laughs> I just love St. Paul's wisdom here. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And what's in between the lines there? It's not always going to work. Right? Do you hear that in there? It's not always going to work. Some are going to be offended no matter what. All right, number six, live by faith. St. Paul said, the man who doubts is condemned if he eats because your eating is not from faith, and everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. So I just believe this. God creates faith in our hearts. The Holy Spirit sustains that faith in our hearts, and that faith in our hearts creates godly convictions. Did you hear me say godly convictions? This is how God creates these convictions. And so when the more we walk with the Lord, the more we walk in relationship with the Lord, the more we read and understand his word, the more we are in worship with the Lord, the more we are with brother, trusted brothers and sisters in Christ, the clearer our attitude, our words, and our actions become in this world. Right? Do you know what I mean? It just makes sense, doesn't it? The more in tune we are with God's will, the easier it will be to understand God's will. Maybe you've heard me say before, one of my great frustrations is when someone calls me on the phone that I haven't talked to for four years. It's like, Pastor Dan, I need to talk. I'm like, great, come on in. And it's like this, I prayed and prayed and this, I prayed and prayed yesterday and nothing happened. I'm like, okay, that's a great start, but what about the four years before that? You know, what about, you know, growing in a relationship and learning to understand the Lord and living in the muck a little bit? So you have to struggle, and, and through that struggle, God creates these, con these godly convictions in your heart. That just is not a switch you can turn on. You're right, everybody? It's not just a switch. It's a lifetime of growing and learning to listen and understanding how God works. And it's, it's, it's a, this is what I mean by living by faith. Our faith creates these convictions that then shows us how we are to speak and act in our world. Faith. Happy is the one who can make a decision with a clear conscience. Isn't it? How many of you second guess yourself all the time? Man, oh man. How many of you third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh guess yourself, right? 
See, I just believe the more we know and love the Lord and feel his presence and hear and see him working in our lives, the easier these decisions come and the clear conscience that comes with it. All right, so why are we to build each other up? Uh, we're on the back page already, right? Uh, we've been through these six things. So now in chapter 15, St. Paul is going to turn to what are the benefits of doing this? The first thing he's going to say, he's going to talk about our responsibility. He says, verse 15, we have a God-given responsibility to do so. He said, we who are strong ought to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to up. Did you see the ought word right there? Right? That's a responsibility word. Ought. That means this is something that you should do. This is a skill or a characteristic or a character trait that God wants you to have. And what is that? That you bear the failings of the weak. A weak person who doesn't understand human sexuality, how God made us male and female, who doesn't understand the Genesis creation account, who doesn't understand basic biology of blood, right? Someone who's weak that way, what does God say we should do? Pound some sense into him? Is that what it said? No, it said we should bear with their failings. This is just uh, in these disputable matters, we must bear with their failings so we don't cause them to stumble, so we leave a window or a doorway open for God's Holy Spirit to enter and work and bring change in His time and His way. Not our time and our way, God's time and His way. We can't close that door. St. Paul said, bear with the failings of the weak to leave that door open so God can work. Is this becoming clear, everybody? Is this becoming easier? No. But is it becoming clear? Right? God-given responsibility. See, I believe building others up is a part of your job description as a Christian. The moment you became a believer, part of your job description, this is what God said, this is what you are to do. This is what you ought to do included building others up, even if they're weak, even if they don't agree with you, even if there's a better way to do it. If it's a non-essential matter, we bear their failings. Yes? Next, how are we to build each other up? He said it's the example of Christ. The reason we do it is the example of Christ. He said, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So why do we bear up under other people's failings? Because Jesus did the same. And so if you want to be Christ-like, right, you don't live, live to please yourself, but you learn to please others just as Jesus gave himself as an offering for others. We are asked to do the same. Swallow our pride, sometimes give up our liberty, our freedom to encourage another person. So let's talk about the difference between a people pleaser and being a stumbling block. Because right? it kind of sounds like I'm just saying here, you just need to go around and be a people pleaser. That is not what I'm saying. There's a difference between being a people pleaser and being a stumbling block. Do you know what I think the difference is? People pleasers will do anything for the approval of another person, even if it's a bad thing. 
even if it's a, a, a sinful thing, right? But a stumbling block is when you get in the way of someone else's faith. So you please them by not getting in the way of their faith so that God can work through that window. Do you see the difference? I'm not sure I'm explaining it well. A people pleaser does anything to get the approval of another person, even if it's a bad thing. You know, I will go and spend a whole lot of money uh, so that this person approves of me instead of using that money wisely in the kingdom of God. People pleaser. A stumbling block person is when you just, um, you do the things we've talked about. You argue, you assert your will, you, you know, you insist on your being right, and you just get in the way of that person's growing in their faith. Two ends of the same continuum. Agreed. Different things. All right, so he said, why are we to do that? That We have, one of the reasons is the example of Jesus. Uh, how do you know if you have a servant's heart? Here's a little acid test that you can do. How do you react when people treat you like a servant? Does it bug you? Does it hurt, irk you? Do you snap back? Or do you say, do you just serve? Do you just love? See, that's the acid test. You know, if, if you've got the servant's heart, you're glad to serve. You're willing to put yourself under another person. You're willing to take the second seat. You're willing to play second fiddle. You're willing to sacrifice, and it doesn't irk you. It doesn't, you don't say, well, I'm going to get mine again somewhere down the road. But you just do it because that's how you know you have a servant heart. All right, how are we enough for you? Is that good enough for you just because the Bible says so? I hope so. Because really, when we say the Bible says so, what do we mean? God says so. Because the Bible is God's word. Right? So if God said so, is that good enough for you? Or are you like a child that says, why? 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 And you just hope that you'll wear them down so they'll change their mind. Right? No. The Bible says, the teaching of Scripture says that we build each other up, so we do it because. Why are we to build each other up? Because through it, the church is unified. St. Paul said, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So when we build each other up, the church is unified and glorified. Um, and then God is glorified, he said there too. So that with one heart and mouth, you may glorify God. When the body of Christ is in harmony and unity and walking together, God himself is glorified. Unity brings glory to God. Interesting, God is triune. He's a communal being. Unity in community is not just a desire, it's God's character. And that's why unity and community of the church and with one another is an essential thing of giving glory to God. Do you follow that logic? Four marks of a unified church. I don't think this is on your sheet, by the way. You can just write this in the bottom blank. This is verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think that's just a great closing verse for the night. Right? What are the four marks of a unified church? There's joy, there's peace, there's hope, and there's God power. Where there is unity in the church, there is joy, there is peace, there is hope, and there is power. 
when there's disunity and fighting and bickering in the church, you will find none of these things. Funny how that works, huh? Unity is the key for joy, peace, hope, and power. Does unity mean we agree on everything? No, but unity means we accept and love one another still. Right? So next week, oh, 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 we're not ready. That's a good benediction. I agree. She's not imposing her will on me or anything. <laughs> All right. So next week, uh, our second to last session, Paul's going to end with how to have an effective ministry. Having talked about all the things that matter, he's now going to start with some personal comments. And you're going to really love how St. Paul closes Romans. He just opens his heart to us, and we learn some of the secrets of ineffective ministry. Looking forward to that with you.